Yeah, I'm out for a walk for the first time in what's been days. I mentioned in an episode several days ago that I'm sick, and it's not a normal sort of sickness. It's not like a cold. It's the third time I've had these exact symptoms, uh, which is this pain, sort of a soreness. I wouldn't call it a sharp pain or anything, but a soreness in the back of my head that kind of continues down my spine. And it's, it's really troubling, actually, and I joke around about it. And I'm not sure exactly what it was, what it is, for that matter, was or is. And the fact that it's been re- uh, recurring, it's been about... I've had this exact set of symptoms three times since uh, late November. And I'm not sure what to make of it. It lasts, you know, just under a week, I think, each time it's happened. And I don't know, this isn't meant to be some sort of call for sympathy or anything. But each time it's happened, I've also felt, I don't know, something something different mentally as well. Sort of a feeling of not entirely being here, yet having a lot of insight into, you know, the way my own brain thinks. So I don't know what it is. It could just be migraines. You know, my family has a history of migraines. So it could be something like that. Uh, so I'm on a walk for the first time in days and it feels good to be out. And, you know, anytime I'm in a a place like this mentally, uh, you know, there's always a, a feeling of wanting to bend and not break. And that's something you hear people talk about, you know, on a, a larger level, on a social level, societal level, you know, we will bend but not break. And it's also something you have to do as an individual. Something I wanted to talk more about is the idea of awareness. I've said before that, you know, I consider awareness to be the highest form of, in, not, not the highest form, but I consider awareness to basically be intelligence or what we define as intelligence is awareness. And that's something you see in Adam and Eve with, uh, you know, self-awareness, the tree of knowledge. Knowledge itself is the product of their awareness. You can't be knowledgeable without being aware, without observing. Knowledge is the product of awareness and observation. So in that way, the whole story of Adam and Eve is about awareness. I mean, not the whole thing, but that's the component that makes them put on clothes. That's what makes them aware. And when I've brought up awareness before, uh, I've brought it up in the context of humor, like being able to understand that something is a joke, even if you don't find it funny. Uh, And, you know, it's, it's a strange thing because it's like being aware of something, but not necessarily reacting to it. And... You know, from but you look at humor, and in the same way that knowledge is a product of awareness, so is humor, so are jokes. You know, you have to observe and be aware of certain conditions in order to form jokes based on those observations. And most humor, at its core, is either uh, it's it's an observation of some kind of some kind, whether it's an observation of things around you or an observation about yourself. You know, it still comes from uh, a level of awareness or self-awareness. So that's interesting to me. It's interesting that so much of this, so much of what we value, so much of what we do is simply a product of awareness. Uh, So with that in mind, that's why, you know, the story of Adam and Eve to me is basically about becoming aware and all of the good and bad that comes along with that. And the bad that comes along with it is pretty obvious. You know, I talk about... You know, trying to limit your consumption of the news. 
Because there's this idea that being aware of everything is good. Being aware of everything happening in the world, around you, even in your own community, is somehow good for you. You know, an argument can be made that that's true. You know, an argument could easily be made that, you know, being aware of everything going on in your community is valuable to you, valuable to your survival, valuable to your ability to help other people and maintain a good community. So that makes sense. But of course, as our scope has gotten larger, uh, as our scope has gotten larger and we, you know, do see the entire world as a community in some way, no matter what your views are, whether you're into open borders or, you know, totally closing yourself off, whether you have a total isolationist viewpoint, you inevitably see the entire world. And uh, the simple fact that you, you can see, the, the fact that you know other people just like you in, in some capacity exist out there does give you some sort of global sense of community. But the question is always, how aware do you need to be of what's going on? And, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm very self-conscious of the fact that in, in recording these, even though it's pretty much, you know, just a little private corner of the world, just me recording my thoughts, it's a glorified diary. I'm very self-aware of the fact that somebody could listen to it and think like, oh, Eric's going crazy. He's going crazy. He's going wild. He's in a manic state. He's in this and that. And I agree that doing rambling podcasts, you know, multiple times a day for days on end when you're having some sort of existential migraine doesn't necessarily lend itself toward, <laughs> you know, toward the average person's idea of sanity. But for me, it's just another example of bending but not breaking. And if I can bend my brain without it breaking, I know the result is always positive. You know, it's no different than breaking your muscles down and building them back up. But there is always that question of, have I gone too far? You never really know which weight you're going to lift, you know, which repetition might pull a muscle. Uh, but you can learn from that too. I mean, that's the thing is sometimes you do pull a muscle and... That allows you to really think about the way you were doing something. Think about the way that you were lifting weights that caused that injury to happen. So you change your form and you prepare for next time. And next time, oh, you know, I was using my wrist too much. When I should have been, you know, I should have, I should have stood up a little bit straighter so that I wasn't leaning into each rep. As, you know, there's a million ways that you can correct your form. But sometimes you don't stop to do that until you do pull a muscle or until you do injure yourself because something has to stop that momentum because otherwise you'll just wake up and do the same thing every day. And sometimes when I do feel, you know, that weight of the world on my shoulders, not that I alone am responsible for anything, you know, on a global level, uh, not that I'm responsible for correcting the path of the world or anything like that. Uh, you know, I do find that it, uh, I don't know, it, it's almost like I'll, I'll try to like fend off, you know, I'll, I'll try to fend off like ha that global awareness that I was talking about. I, I try to fend off that, that need or that feeling that I need to pay attention to everything or be aware of everything because I don't think it's healthy to do that all the time. 
Uh, I think it's good to, you know, think of the entire world as a community, but I don't think that you need to personally invest in it all the time because I think that'll bring you down to your knees really quick. You'll pull a muscle really quickly. But I do go through these periods where I just, I let myself get oversaturated. And the last few weeks I've done that and I, I found myself more frustrated. I found myself more scared, uh, sometimes more angry. I feel like I have ways of managing that feeling. Uh, but, you know, I have found myself being a little bit consumed by some sort of feeling. And it's strange, too, because we've had a very gray summer. This is probably the most mild summer that I can ever recall having, where the entire month of August has been largely gray. We've had rains in July. Half of July was rainy. You know, we even had rain yesterday or the day before, you know, which is almost unheard of in August, and it's been very gray. Uh, but, so that's been an interesting thing. I haven't needed like a nice, bright, warm summer or anything, and I've really been enjoying the mild weather, especially in light of what's going on in other places. It gives me an added appreciation. But it does do something mentally. It's different. It's not what you're used to. Uh, but yeah, in recent weeks, though, it's like I, I have been allowing myself to get a little bit, maybe a little too saturated in uh, everything going on in the world and everything not going on in the world too that's the thing is it's not just that if you, if you once you start you know paying attention to the things that are going on once you start reading the news once you start listening to everybody's opinions and taking it all in you, your mind starts going other places as well into the areas that you don't know and that's where a lot of the anxiety comes from when you do let yourself be consumed by media by editorials, by opinions, by theories, by right and wrong. And uh, for me personally, I can handle it. I, I feel like I can take in what other people are saying and doing. I can take in the news without letting it affect me too deeply. But I think you need to have that sort of safety line where you know when to pull yourself out. And that's the difficult part. I feel like that's where discipline comes in. That's where having some sense of structure uh, within you, you know, becomes very important, is knowing when to pull yourself out. Uh, and that's what I'm doing right now. And I, I'm pulling myself out of that whole mess, that whole gridlock of ideas. Uh, you know, I, I checked it out, you know, I will continue to pay attention, I'll continue to be aware of what I need to be aware of, or at least what I think I need to be aware of. Uh, but I also have to question that awareness. I also have to question the knowledge that comes from that awareness. Even if humor is sacrificed, you know, like I said, knowledge is a product of awareness, humor is a product of awareness. And when you don't pay attention and when you're not aware of what's going on, you sacrifice knowledge, you sacrifice awareness. And we talk about ignorance like it's the worst thing in the world, not knowing something, uh, especially in this new digital information age where if you don't remember an actor's name, you can look it up right away. You can go to IMDb at any time to remember that actor's name. But. You know, you, you miss out on that sensation of remembering it. 
and that feeling of remembering something on your own nothing really compares to that you know it's funny for such a simple little thing when you're hanging out with people trying to remember something trying to remember an actor's name in some movie that doesn't even matter you know and then you you somewhere in your brain it just comes to you that's a great feeling and I don't think that that's the I don't think that's the only sense uh, situation where you experience it you don't only experience that sensation when you're talking about trivia it happens in all sorts of ways sometimes it's a memory that you just totally forgot about it's a smell it's that idea of activation once again you know so many things you don't even realize it but they become activated there's some sort of prompt and I've had that experience where I went to a place and I smelled like a, the, the sea smelled salty and it hit my nose in the right way that some childhood memory came back to me completely a child childhood memory about an actor no but you will have that sensation and sometimes that's over overpowering and difficult and that gets into like repressed memories and all sorts of stuff where people will forget things that they went through that were troubling or traumatic and something prompts that something activates that feeling again and that's where you know the word triggered for example is actually a, a very real and valuable word you know it's become distorted because you know people are triggered by everything and everyone's making jokes about being triggered and the word has lost its meaning altogether uh, but you know that's where something does trigger a trauma you know something activates a trauma but it's the same sort of sensation you know good or bad whether it's just remembering some little piece of trivia and you're excited that you remembered it on your own instead of looking it up it's that sort of feeling that sort of sensation and just the ability to do that whether you know you want to see people I mean you could decide to look and see people as processors you know there's those some people out there it's like they're so deep into this world of engineering and computer science that they just see people as processors and you know oh when, when you're recalling the name of you know some actor in Independence Day oh what was the name of the president in Independence Day don't tell me don't tell me and then you remember it you know somebody who you know sees the world in computer science terms might very well say well, what you're doing is no different than looking something up on IMDb. You're, you're just doing it in some sort of organic way. But the difference is, is we don't understand that. You know, we don't completely understand what the human database is or what it's capable of. And we don't know the ways in which that works to our benefit. You know, beyond just remembering trivia, beyond just remembering certain experiences because you were something prompted or activated that memory we don't really know the ways in which you know that's working at all times and there's some interesting theories out there about you know there's, there's the term bicameralism I believe that's I believe I'm saying that right bicameralism and it was a theory that was put forward in sociology that earlier man earlier humans were able to not able to that they simply heard commands like what we now think of as our own thoughts there was a distinction between what they were hearing as their own uh, let me I'm trying to think of the best way to, 
to break it down. Best way to summarize a very complicated sociological concept that may or may not have been true, but it resonated with me when I heard it. And basically, it's the idea that much of our concept of God came from the fact that we were separated from our thoughts at an earlier stage in human development. So when we would hear our own thoughts, it was almost like an outside voice commanding them to us. Now, I don't remember if bicameralism included like your own thoughts that you heard and you knew they were your own, as well as these external thoughts that you thought could be something larger, like a god. I don't remember if that was a part of it, but it's fascinating. And of course, you know, some people don't like the idea, some people have discounted it, but it did make me think, you know, it did make me think. Uh, and it made me think in particular about the idea of intuition, which is on my mind constantly. And I tried not to have it on my mind because, you know, when you have intuition on your mind too much, you actually dampen your own intuition to some degree. And that idea of instinct and intuition is just endlessly fascinating to me because you do feel it. If you allow yourself to feel it, you will at some point. And sometimes it seems really trivial. You know, for me, I'll be running on a trail and I'll, I'll reach a fork in the path. It could be a trail I've been on hundreds of times and I'll reach a fork in the path on that trail and something will just compel me to say, take the right path. And if I show any resistance and I try to take the left path, something tells me that's wrong. And that, that might just be total nonsense. It might not, it might not have any impact. Or it could be one of those things, though, where if you took the wrong path on the fork, you're going to trip and break your leg, or there's somebody over there, there's a mugger behind a tree. You know, you never really know. But you do hear stories about when people don't follow their intu intuition and they take the, the other path. Not that everything is as simple as, oh, I'm in the woods and there's a fork in the path. Not that everything is that simple. It's like Oregon Trail world where it's like, oh, you know, will you attempt to ford the river? Will you, or will you just cross, <laughs> you know, go with your intuition. No, but uh, not everything is that simple, but people will tell you stories where they knowingly went against what they felt. Uh, they, they knowingly went against what might be called their intuition and something bad happened. And, you know, if you broke it down, if you got all statistical about it and looked at the data, you know, you might see that, you know, a lot of people go against their what their so-called intuition a lot and everything is fine blah 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 but when people do have those sorts of experiences it's a sensation comparable in a weird way to when you do just recall some trivia that you thought you weren't going to be able to access and there's no way to really understand what just volunteers that information to you like you know, it's like five minutes after you and your friends are done with the conversation about movies, you suddenly remember, oh, Orson Welles. You know, suddenly it just jumps out to you, but you feel the need to say it, you know, because you do have this sensation and it does feel somehow important. So trying to like understand intuition on any level is just well beyond me. I don't intuitively understand intuition, but I do know through experience that when you do follow it, it's, it's almost like something feels aligned. And uh, it's been a little bit, you know, it's kind of amazing that I've talked, uh, you know, I've done all these episodes the last few days and haven't mentioned synchronicity at all. And uh, <laughs> here we go. Uh, but, you know, sometimes 
you know, when you do follow what you believe to be your intuition, you do start to encounter more synchronistic experiences or, you know, little micro phenomena. And an example of that that I don't remember in the past, but I've started to experience more in recent times is I'll be listening to something or watching something or even talking to somebody while also reading something. And that just shows what a great listener I am, that I'm reading something while listening to somebody, but, well, quote-unquote listening. But I'll find that, you know, I will hear the words that they're saying. Someone will say a certain word, and I'm not talking about, like, and, if, or but, or some extremely common word, but also not necessarily some super obscure word either. You know, something that's specific enough to to where you notice it, but someone will say that word right as I read it at the same exact time. And that's a very literal form of synchronicity where you are reading a word on a piece of paper completely independent of whatever you're hearing. It happens to me with podcasts. It occasionally happens with television. And like I said, even sometimes talking to people where I will just, that word will, uh, will just line up, you know, and you will literally hear that word verbalized as you read it and you can't assign too much significance to that but you do get a feeling you do get a sensation and you can't make a big deal out of it whether you want to say it means oh i'm i'm reading the right thing right now because it's synchronized with something else that i'm taking in you know you can really interpret it however you want but it's a phenomena you know it is a form of phenomena and A friend of mine has been talking to me lately about observer theory, which I don't think I'd ever really thought that much about, you know, as a theory, but it's something many of us have experienced where you feel that you observing something somehow causes it to behave differently. And sometimes that includes an an inanimate object. And I'm not talking about an object flying across the room, some like hocus pocus thing or a ghost you know, lifting up a vase and breaking it just because you looked at it. Uh, But it could be as simple as, you know, an animal behaving differently because you're looking at it, which makes sense because it's a, you know, it's, it's a living being that reacts to other living beings. But it really could be something that just the makeup of it simply changes to some degree or the behavior of something simply changes because it knows you are looking at, at it. And there are some examples of that occurring in situations you know, not involving a sentient being. And I don't really know what to say about that, but uh, I do feel like it plays a role in some of these phenomena, like synchronicities, where it seems like, you know, you're, you're reading something that you just, even if it's something that you arbitrarily decided to read, sometimes it'll be that. Like I said, it doesn't have to be anything of value. You know, you don't have to be sitting there reading, you know, some scripture. And it just so happens that whatever you're listening to syncs up with that scripture. And it's not like every word syncs up. It's just every now and again a word will match. And it's a specific enough word to where you're just like, huh, that's that's strange. And I think how you prevent yourself from, you know, being an absolute madman or losing your mind over it or alienating yourself is to, is to not subscribe too much to that occurrence in the same way that you wouldn't do it with larger synchronicities. But it even occurs sometimes when I'm typing. Like it happened to me the other day where I was with somebody and I had to send a message. And as I was typing the message, like two words in just this like less than a paragraph message synced up in a highly specific way with what somebody was saying. And it was just, it was weird to like see those words 
to spell those words out myself as I was hearing them. It's one of those things where you're just like, what's going on here? But it does make me think of bicameralism as well, where there's this idea that you are getting some kind of other directive from outside of yourself, or even if it's inside of you, it's separate from your own stream of consciousness. And I'd have to look up bicameralism again. I highly recommend looking into it, you know, even if you think it's all garbage. Uh, I highly recommend looking into it because it's a fascinating idea and uh, it could potentially tell us a lot about intuition, you know, the origin of the concept of God or anything like that. You know, those major sweeping concepts. Um, but uh, with bicameralism, you know, it does... it. it it would seem to play into intuition and that experience of you know having multiple forms of input at once you know someone talking to you listening to something as well as reading or writing something and having those sync up in some way would seem to be like a like a similar feeling a similar sensation especially when you consider that in the period of human development where bicameralism is believed to potentially have existed you know, we didn't have the same ability to express ourselves in multiple mediums. Not that I know of. You know, maybe people could carve shit into walls. Maybe people could signal with their hands. I don't know. And that's another thing we don't know. Because we don't know, you know, the nuances of communication back then. We don't know all the nuances, uh, you know, behind the way people communicated in you know much more primitive times. We don't really know what kind of... Uh, inexplicable phenomena may have been happening. And, you know, I'm operating off this assumption that I think everybody does, that people were less aware then. And I don't know that awareness can be quantified. You know, I think there are ways that awareness plays out. It could be knowledge. It could be humor. And I personally use humor as a pretty large measuring stick because that's important to me. It's just even on a survival level, like I want to know when other people are joking, even if I don't find it funny, I want to have that sense. I want to know if somebody, I want to know if they're joking too. I want to know maybe where they're coming from, where they're getting the idea from. So I value awareness as it's used to understand humor. Uh, and knowledge is actually less important to me than humor. Uh, does that mean it's less important? No. But in terms of my own life, my own ability to get by, that's just how I prioritize things. Do I need to prioritize them? I don't know. This is the kind of stuff you can really, you know, twist your mind up around. You don't really know what's going to happen. Uh, but uh, I do value humor above knowledge. And I believe that humor is actually an evolution of knowledge in a weird way, where it takes knowledge to truly have a sense of humor or at least have a sense of humor that goes beyond, you know, the bathroom. Not that there's anything wrong with, you know, bathroom humor. Uh, but uh, it's, just, it's just one of those things where I see humor as an evolution of knowledge and yet another byproduct of simple awareness. Because you'll meet people who uh, might be, you know, the smartest people in the world in terms of using their awareness to acquire knowledge and to observe and to apply that knowledge. They might be very advanced. They might be far up high on that academic ivory tower. 
yet they're lacking a sense of humor and are therefore lacking you know a core component of survival in a very social world and they might get by you know they might get by but you know there is a lack there uh but who am i to measure that who am i to say that you know one thing is better than the other or one thing is more inherently valuable especially if intuition is sacrificed and that's where we you get back sort of the story to the story of Adam and Eve, where the basic idea is that intuition was sacrificed when they became self-aware. And that animal spirit of intuition, I mean, it's one of the reasons why, you know, we do put animals on this pedestal in this day and age is because it's like they are operating off of what appears to be pure intuition, pure instinct. They know how to do things without going to classes. They manage to get by and, and have their needs met, you know, without um, going to work. You know what I mean? Uh, and who's to say that's better? I mean, obviously humans dominate the natural world. Uh, but, you know, in that domination, we have this respect. And uh, when you get back to Adam and Eve, it's like what Adam and Eve distanced themselves from was that natural ability to just intuit the world and in doing so, you know, complicated their lives immensely. Uh, you know, the creation of fashion, you know, think, you think about the, the leaf, uh, you know, putting leaves over yourself, getting a loincloth, a leaf loincloth. That's uh, <laughs> the first fashion trend was putting a leaf over your nether regions. And we see you know, the immense complication that fashion brings our life. You know, you spend all this money on something because you think it looks good and it'll make you cool. And then five months later, it sucks. It's the dumbest thing in the world. You thought a bowl cut was going to change your life. You know, you thought a bowl cut was just going to be uh, your ticket. Oh, you got a bowl cut. You know, you're going to be cool forever. And then you look back and it's just like, what was that? Same thing for that haircut that all the guys had like two, four years ago where they shaved the sides of their head and like put their head up in some huge pompadour and then every guy had it and it wasn't cool anymore. And you can trace all that stuff back to, you know, self-awareness and fashion as a product of self-awareness. And what's more self-aware than fashion, really? You think about that. You know, fashion is like one of the most self-aware... Um, traps we fall into and it's it's awesome there's a lot that's really cool about fashion and there are some people who are just truly confident in whatever they do and i know people like that who just manage to they make it look easy you know they make fashion look easy they they have very unique styles of fashion and i'm not a, a guy who's ever been interested in fashion but i can very clearly see when someone's good at it or when they have an, an intuitive ability to make it work and the confidence to pull that off and that's very impressive to me. And uh, it, it's strange to think, though, about how, you know, when someone does adopt a new, when someone buys a new jacket that's unlike any other jacket they've ever worn, and they, they don't really know if they could pull it off, you know, they're very self-aware of that. And they're very aware of the fact that they may not look right. <laughs> and sometimes it doesn't matter how, you know, how nice the... the doesn't matter how nice your leaf loincloth is it might not just be it might not be the right look for you or if it is the right look for you it might not be the right look for you in five years and people are going to look back and be like oh, 
Remember when everyone wore those leaf loincloths? You should have listened to your bicameral mind, you know, and your intuition and gone with, uh, I don't know. I don't know. You didn't really have too many options back then. You didn't have too many options, whether you, <laughs> you know, there's only so many shades of leaf. But that autumn look is always in, you know, when someone has a nice, uh, you know, a dried, rusty red leaf that crackles whenever you move. You know, it was the first autumn fall fashion was a, uh, a falling leaf, an orange, yellow falling leaf. That was the first fall fashion. Uh, whereas, uh, you know, in the spring, you got to wear something green, something green and lush. But yeah, to get back to that idea of the, the bicameral mind, you know, who knows? Who knows if that's how things were? I mean, we're just, you know, we're behind, you know, we're running, you know, we're, we're running late, we're, you know, trying to understand things that were going on that long ago is just, you know, you might as well just be throwing darts. But I did find that idea interesting. I did find that idea of bicameralism interesting. But going back to what I was talking about originally, you know, doing, you know, this just rush of podcasts, you know, every day doing a couple of them, being having some sort of weird sickness that might be a migraine or something. I don't know. I'm concerned about it. And I hate to talk about that, to do the whole sympathy gathering. I'm gathering up my sympathy. I'm going to need it this winter. I'm going to need a lot of sympathy this winter. Uh, but no, something weird. And it's just weird that it kind of coincides with a rush of ideas. But it's not a manic state. You know, it might seem that way. It might be like, oh, Eric's losing his mind. You know, and, and people will gaslight you over that. People will absolutely gaslight you. I know that's a political, a socio-political buzzword. You know, something that men do to women because it was done in some movie, and it's very real. People do it, they do it to their wives, they do it to women, but it's something people do all the time anyway. Anytime someone's behaving or thinking in a way that makes them un uncomfortable, there's always a degree of gaslighting that goes on, and I'm not saying anybody's doing that to me or has done that to me. I've definitely had it done to me, but I'm not saying I, I feel that right now. But I, I completely understand where you know, when you, when you make this sort of thing a priority in your life, you alienate people. And uh, that's another of those things that's just a delicate balance is you have to do your own thing, but, you know, not at the expense of alienating everyone else or being so self-absorbed or so wrapped up in whatever your trip is that other people can't even crack the surface. You know, that's not a way to be, but there's also periods of time where you do have to kind of oversaturate yourself, and I don't know, I'm pulling myself out. Like I said, you have to have a lifeline. I allowed myself to go down, you know, some deep, dark hallways, some rabbit holes in the past few weeks, and in large part, that's because of what was going on in the world, what is going on in the world, uh, you know, just some, some different topics that are in the air. And I never quite feel like these things are being addressed right and maybe that's where all of this comes from is just this sort of unsettled feeling where I'm like I hear a lot of talk I hear a lot of ideas and I'm not afraid of ideas that don't mesh well with my own understanding of the world but I feel like something is missing and I don't think I'm a person who can necessarily cast light on that uh, but I do think about these things and, and the more that you saturate yourself, the more you think about them. And good can come from that. You know, you can come up with 
very healthy ideas, healthy philosophical ideas that you can apply to your life and act out and live. And I think that's a good goal to set for yourself if you're dealing with anything that is troubling in the world, big or small, anything that is bothering you in your personal life, how can you use it? You know, I, I went on that long episode yesterday about paganism and heavy metal and how the true pagan spirit is to use whatever tools are available to you. But you shouldn't try to use tools that don't work just because they're there either. You know, you shouldn't try to use something just because it's available. Um, you know, if you've been uh, using a, a soldering gun and it's been working out for you, you don't necessarily need to grab a blowtorch just to see what it does because somebody handed you one or it's sitting there. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, no, in, in paying attention and saturating yourself with events going on in the world, uh, you do have to think practically. Like, how can I use this? Is this making me think in a way that's going to be productive, that's going to make me more productive in my thinking and my behavior? And am I going to be able to use that thinking and behavior to be a more productive person out in the world? Because you can wall yourself off and be like, well, I'm just, I'm just going to use everything for my own purposes, for my laboratory. I'm just going to wall myself off and, and take in all this stuff and then just use it for my own little, little fantasy world. And you don't want to do that. It's like ultimately I feel like your goal should be to... Think about how you can use whatever it is you're consuming or saturating yourself in, how you can use that to benefit yourself and how benefiting yourself can benefit other people. And that's something I greatly contend with because I have this constant feeling that I'm not doing enough. I have this constant feeling that I'm not, I'm not doing enough on a practical level. And you can be a good friend, you can be a good employee, you can be a good student, you, you know, you can, you can be all of those things. And in doing that, I think you, you do become a productive person and you do use the things that you've learned and uh, I think we all though have this kind of like, we're all waiting for that feeling of remembering an actor's name. And that's kind of what it feels like when you do help people and when you do good things is because they always make you feel better. You know, and I'm not talking about some self-righteous, like giving someone life advice, like God forbid I talk to anybody in my life the way I talk into this microphone here. God forbid that I ever try to like corner somebody with these sorts of thoughts. But just because you don't put words to it in the same way you would in your own private world, or not so private world in this case, uh, doesn't mean you're not using the same mechanics. You know, it doesn't mean you're not using the same base the same foundation uh, and you know but I, I still think like even when I even when I am helpful even when I know I'm, a, I'm objectively helpful not to say that I volunteer in soup kitchens nothing like that and I, I would probably be better off if I did I would probably probably be a lot better off if I did just buckle down and stick with the classics like what are the classic ways that you can help people you know, I probably would be better off if I did that. And here I am thinking about how I would be better off. Like, oh, I would be better off if I help people. And so you see where you have to work those kinks out. And 
I do feel like I'm heading in that direction. I do feel like I'm I'm pointed in that direction where I, you know, I ultimately want to let go and, and live a life where I can help people or or do at, make acts of kindness that aren't just an attempt to make myself feel better or like I'm doing the right thing or like I'm helping the world. Uh, but it's like even when I find that like I do good or, or, you know, good things are happening and, you know, I'm contributing to them in some way, I still feel like I'm waiting for that sensation that says, Orson Welles. And I go, oh yeah. You know, I feel like I'm waiting for that sensation, like something that, that'll just pop into my mind. But maybe if I continue to use my intuition and value my intuition and do everything I can to make sure that my intuition has a clear path uh, to follow uh, on its way to me. Uh, you know, because I feel like that's a lot of it is, you know, you have to clear a path for your intuition to come. You know, you have to maintain that path and clear a path and maintain it. And that's often the most difficult part. This land is mine God gave this land to me This brave, this golden land to me And when the morning sun Reveals her hills and plains I see a land where children